All right, friends, let's go. If you got your Bibles, Hebrews 1. We are starting a brand new series this morning in, in Hebrews. Hebrews 1 is where we're going to be. Uh, if you did not bring a Bible, there's a blue Bible underneath the seat you're sitting in. You can reach down there and pull out um, that blue Bible. Hebrews 1 is where we are going to be this morning. You're going to want a Bible, and so make sure you get that. If somebody, if somebody knows the page number in the Blue Bible, shout that out when, when you get it. We'll, just, we'll just do it. Hebrews is towards the back of the New Testament. Um, if, you, if, you hit, um, if you hit James, 1st and 2nd, 3rd Peter, or 1st and 3rd John, you've gone too far, right? Back, back up a, a little bit. All right, let's see. What is it? 1102? 1102. 1102 in the Blue Bibles is where we're going to be this morning. We are starting this series in Hebrews today. We're going to be in it all summer long, all summer long. And I'm going to talk a little bit this morning about uh, kind of the context of this work that we're going to be in. But before we do that, let's, let's, let's read the word together. And so this is something that we do here at Flourishing Grace, and we have not done it in a while. We've been, we haven't been walking through a book for, for the past season, uh, but we're going to be walking through this all summer long. And so we're going to bring it back this morning. Here at Flourishing Grace, we believe that this is the word of God. It is a gift from the God of the universe that he's given to you. It's amazing. It's precious to us. And so in honor and reverence of the word of God, if you're able, would you stand with me as I read it for us this morning? Hebrews 1.1. Long ago, and many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power, by the word of his power. After making purification for sins... He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. All right, so this, this book of the Bible, Hebrews, um, in, in the, kind of towards the end of our New Testament, it's an incredible, incredible work. And there's so much that is kind of mysterious uh, about this work, right? So the author of Hebrews, we don't know who the author is, right? When we, when we typically read uh, what's known as the epistles, which are these letters, right? Normally they have kind of an introduction where the author introduces himself, right? Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to Timothy, our brother, right? He introduces, he puts his name in the letter, right? Which, you, which, which is a normal thing to do. But Hebrews is not a letter, it's not a letter. It's not a letter that somebody is sending to one of the churches, right? This is what most of the New Testament is, a, is letters that we have that have been copied again and again and again and again and again and passed throughout all of these churches. But it was a letter to a specific person or to a specific church, right? Paul writes this letter. Or Peter writes this letter. James writes this letter to a specific church or to a specific person like Timothy or Titus or Philemon, right? Um, and so we have these letters that are compiled. But Hebrews is not that. Hebrews is a sermon that was preached. It's a sermon that was preached. Now, do, we don't know if the author then, like, rewrote the sermon or if somebody was, like, scribbling notes and, like, writing this out as it was being preached, if there was a scribe that was keeping up as it was being preached and writing this out. We we're not sure. Kind of towards the end, there's kind of these announcements that happened kind of towards the end, but the bulk of it is just a sermon that's being preached. We don't know who the author is. There's a, there's a number of theories. 
some people used to think it was Paul, but most people don't think that anymore. Most scholars would say it's, it's probably not Paul. And we'll, we'll talk about what, why that is a little bit later on. Most people would say it, it's probably somebody who knew Paul, though. The, the, the language that, that, this, that this person uses and the way they talk and the, the eloquence of their words, right? It's probably not Paul, based on how Paul writes his epistles. It's, it's like the language is not quite the same, but it's so similar that they probably, they probably studied under Paul. Right? And so there's some people who say, maybe it's Bar- Barnabas, right? Barnabas and Paul were super tight, right? Maybe it's Barnabas that, that, that preached the sermon. Some people say, maybe it's Apollos, right? Apollos, we know, is super eloquent. And this guy is brilliant, right? Whoever, whoever preached the sermon was, was absolutely brilliant. Some people say, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's Apollos. Apollos was brilliant and, had, and ran in with Paul, right? Um, so, but the truth is, we just don't know. We don't know who wrote it. But we do know who he's writing to, right? With, with a pretty high degree of certainty, we can say who he's writing to. For sure... These are Jewish Christians, okay? You, once we get into Hebrews, you're like, okay, this, these are for sure Jewish Christians. And whoever's writing this was a Jewish Christian, right? They, knew, they know far too much about the nation of Israel and ancient Israelite traditions to not be Jewish, okay? As a Jewish Christian, um, and, who, and the audience that they're writing to are Jewish Christians. They're Jewish Christians who are enduring persecution, Okay? There, there's a, there is an intense persecution happening, and it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. We're going to pick up on this as we walk through the, this book together. We're going to, you're going to see this. It's getting worse and worse and worse and worse, but it's not to kind of the climax yet. The author knows this only gets worse for you, but they, no one's died yet. No, no one's been killed yet for their faith in Jesus. But what's happening, what's happening is you, you have these, these kind of these Jewish people who are, who are suffering uh, because of their newfound Christian faith. So we pinpoint this kind of time. We say, okay, where is this happening and when is this happening? Scholars would say, well, this is happening in Rome. This is, this is where persecution would have been ramping up in this, in this time frame. This is where it would have been ramping up. And it would have been ramping up around 60 A.D., right? We know that under the emperor Nero, uh, by 64 A.D., Rome burns. Uh, there's a fire in Rome, and, it, and, it, and, it, and there's a massive fire. It burns to the ground. And the Christians are blamed for this, right? Right or wrong, regardless of whether it's true or not, the Christians are blamed for it. And so Nero kind of uses this burning of Rome to create this intense persecution of the Christians and begins doing crazy, crazy horrible things, right? Basically, they're crucified during the day, and they're used as lamps at night. They burn their bodies at night, okay? This is what's happening in Rome by 64, 65 AD. Um, they... they there's crazy stories where they, they clothe them in, in, like, animal clothes, right? They, they skin an animal, and they'll wrap this Christian in the animal, and then they'll, like, throw them in a room filled with, like, vicious dogs, just to, like, you know, entertainment, right? It's just like, that's what, that's what we do on Friday night. We don't have Netflix, so we just wrap them in some animal clothes and throw them in a room with dogs. And they're like, hey, you guys want to come watch this? It's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, it's horrible, right, the things that Nero did to the Christians. And so, but around 60 A.D., Right? The, the persecution is ramping up, but it's not quite there yet. Right? Rome hasn't burnt yet. And so, so scholars say, 60 AD, Rome, Jewish Christians. Right? This, is, this is our audience. This is, the, this is the person who's preaching. It's who he is. Okay? So now, all that to say, what's happening in the letter? What's the point? Not the letter, but the this, this sermon. What's happening? What's his point? What you're going to see again and again and again and again is this idea. You have these Jewish Christians who are being persecuted, intensely persecuted. They're, they're being picked on. There's, there's, they're losing their jobs. Horrible things are happening to their families, right? No one's died yet, but it's getting bad. It's getting really, really bad. And in their minds, they're thinking, you know, things weren't this bad when I was just a Jew, 
Maybe it'd be better. Maybe better to go back to the synagogue and just go back to my family and say, you know what, I know, I know I bought into this new way of this rabbi in, in, in Israel. I, I know, I know I did, but I, I'm just coming back now. Forget all that. I'm just going to come back and we'll just, just go to the synagogue. I know, I guess, I got picked on as a Jew, but it's nothing near as this. And so maybe, maybe we just go back to the way things used to be. What the author is going to say again and again and again and again and again in so many ways is this. You cannot go back. Can't go back. The reason you can't go back is this. Because what you have in Jesus is so much better. So much infinitely better than, than anything, than anything you had back there. Yes, you are suffering. Yes, you are enduring persecution for, because of Christ, because of your faith in Christ. But what you have in Christ is so much infinitely better than anything you had back there. It's so much better than anything else that you're going to find anywhere else. You can't go back. Look how good you have it. Y- yes, you're suffering. Yes, there's a persecution. But look what you have in Christ. And so this is what we're going to see again and again and again and again. And we're going to see it this morning as we dive in. But here, here's, here, here it is real quick. Before we get into the Word, two, two things. There's two different types of people in this room. Here, here in this room with me, my friends, okay? Two different types of people, okay? Some of you, some of you have actually lived this out. You've experienced exactly what the audience has experienced. You have experienced intense persecution for your faith. Now, you've never been clothed in animal clothes and fed to a dog, okay? I hope, okay? It's never happened. It's never happened. But you have counted the cost of following Jesus. You, you have left your family. You, you have committed, for lack of a better phrase, you've committed social suicide. You've left your friends. You, you've left your family. You said to your mom, I don't believe that anymore. Jesus is better than that, and I'm going to follow Jesus. You've lost friends because of your faith. You've lost family members because of your faith in Jesus. Because you love Jesus, you've lost people that you love. They've turned their back on you because you love Jesus. You know exactly what I'm talking about, and you know exactly what these people are seeing. And so my hope for you over the next few months as we walk through this book is this, that you would come to a place where you see Jesus as the most beautiful sight that your eyes will ever lay hold of. That he'd become more precious to you than your own mother. That you would love him more than you love anything in this world. And you would see and discover all that you have in Christ. And you say, man, I'm never going back. Never going back. For others of you in the room, you've never had to suffer for your faith. It's never happened for you. You've never, you've never had to experience any real, real suffering. Like there's been little things. But there's nothing. There's no, you've never had to like leave your mom, right? You never had to disappoint your mom because you love Jesus, Okay. You don't even know what that's like. You have no idea. But for you, there's so many things that you have in Christ that you've taken for granted. So many things you have in Christ that you don't even know. You don't even see. And so my hope for you, for those of you who have maybe grown up in a Christian home, where all you've ever known is, is Jesus, the true Jesus of the Bible. All you've ever known is Jesus. My hope for you is that you would see, you, you begin to plumb the depths of all that you have in him. That, you, that your eyes would be open even more to the wondrous mystery that is Christ in you. And that, you, that you'd praise him with all of your days. Right? And we're going to begin this today by looking at how much, Jesus, how much better 
Jesus is. Verse 1, here we go. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke. He spoke to our fathers by the prophets, right? So a long time ago, in many, in many times, many ways, right? So all the time, all the time, many times, many times, all the time. And in so, so, so many different ways, so many different things were communicated, right? God spoke. He spoke. How did he speak? Who did he speak to, right? Well, he spoke to our fathers. Who were, who were their fathers, right? Who were who their fathers, right? I just set it up. Who are we talking about? The Israelites. Yes, right? The Israelites. These ancient these ancient Hebrews, right? The ancient Hebraic people, the ancient Israelites, God spoke to them. And how did he speak to them? By the prophets. Yes, by the prophets, right? So the author, what the author has in mind here are the, the major prophets, the minor prophets of the Old Testament, right? You have, you have uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, uh, Isaiah, and Jeremiah. Those are our four major prophets. And you have all these 12, 12 minor prophets, right? Uh, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, uh, Zechariah, Michael. You have 12 minor prophets, okay? And so he, what he's saying is, I mean, back in the day of our forefathers, God spoke. He spoke, and many times and in many ways, he spoke to our forefathers by these prophets, by, by, these, by these 12 minor prophets, by these four major prophets. He was speaking to them. He was leading them. He was, he was making his will known to them. He was making his love for them known to him. He was declaring over him these deep truths. God spoke to them. And the truth is, that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. We want a God who speaks to us. Imagine having a God who never speaks, a God who is silent. You have this deep belief in God, but you don't know anything about him. You know that he's real. You know that he's genuine, but you don't know, you don't know if he's happy with you. You don't know if he's angry with you. you. You don't know if he loves you. You don't know what he wants from you. You don't know what he doesn't want from you, right? So you have this God that you want to be pleased with you, but you don't even know how to please him. You have no idea. Right, so you have, to, you have to make up ideas of how to please this God. And so many times, in so many ways, God spoke by these prophets. And we want a God who speaks. A God who reveals his will and communicates his love to us. But then, all of a sudden, God stops speaking. And there's a season of silence. Hundreds of years of silence. Where God does not speak through prophets. God is not engaging uh, through, into the nation of Israel. He's not speaking to them. And they're kind of lost in the season of wondering and worrying what's, what's happening, what's going on. And for many of us today, we feel like, man, that's where we still are. We're in the season where, I mean, I haven't heard God speak to me. I've never heard God speak. I don't really know. Like, so what is going on? Why did God stop speaking? Why did he stop sending prophets. If God loved us, if he was truly loving, wouldn't he continue to send prophets? I've heard people say that. If God was genuinely loving, wouldn't he continue to send prophets? God spoke back then, but he doesn't speak anymore. Is he silent or is he still speaking? The author of Hebrews actually answers all of these questions. He answers all of them in the very next verse. He says this, but but now, but now in these last days, but now he has spoken to us by his son, by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world, right? God has spoken 
to us. Who is us? Who is us? You see, it's important to know the context of this audience. This is what I was getting at er earlier. This audience, right, we think, okay, God spoke by his son, in his son, in huyo, right, the, the Greek, right? He spoke in his son, right? How did he speak in his son? Well, he spoke to the apostles, right? right? The, to these apostles, these men who actually knew him, who actually uh, walked with him and ate with him. That's what an apostle is, right? Just so we're clear on what an apostle really is. An apostle is somebody who, who saw Jesus, right? Paul can claim to be an apostle because he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, right? But Timothy cannot claim to be an apostle because he didn't see him. He didn't, he didn't actually know him, right? So somebody who saw Jesus, walked with Jesus, was taught by Jesus, and who, 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 who receives the gospel directly from Jesus, right? This is an apostle. So, so is, that how, is that who us is? It's not. We learn in, in chapter 2, we're talking about this next Sunday, we learn in chapter 2, these are actually third-generation Christians. Jesus teaches the apostles. The apostles taught other men, one of those men being, being the speaker, the author of this text. And they taught other people. These are third-generation Christians. They did not learn directly from Jesus. They never met him. They never knew him. They didn't learn directly from the apostles. They probably didn't meet them or never knew them either. These are third-generation Christians. They're like you and me just like you and me. And so when the author says that he has spoken to us, he means that he has spoken to them, to them these third generation Christians, and to people like you and people like me. He has spoken to us by his son. God has spoken to us by his son. Why did God stop sending prophets? The author of Hebrews tells us it is because he has given us something better. Right? Why did, he, why did God stop sending prophets? Why are there no more prophets? And there, there are no more prophets. Okay, we're going to talk about this in a minute. But why did God stop sending prophets? Because he's given us something better. God did not stop talking. He started shouting. He didn't go silent. He amplified his voice. In Christ, God shouts his love over us. In Christ, God screams his will for us over his life. In Christ, God declares in this, in this beautiful and magnificent way, completely and totally, this new kingdom ethic, how we are to live now in this kingdom of God. In, in Christ, God amplifies his voice. And there's nothing like Jesus. No, in no way, she perform has any prophet declared so much about God and so much about you and God than in Christ. Christ is, is God's final cry over your life, his pro final prophetic word for you. And even, even future, in, in Christ, God declares so much and so eloquently, so beautifully, even the future for you. His final days, what it will look like when he comes back and returns for us and he calls us home. It's all declared to us in Christ. Christ is God amplifying his voice, not silencing. God is not silenced, but he is shouting. Jesus is greater than any prophet. It goes on in verse 3, the author says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You see, Jesus is not 
like the other prophets. That does not, that does not describe any of the other prophets. It doesn't describe Daniel, right? Is Daniel the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature? Is Isaiah, does Isaiah uphold the universe? No. These are just men. These are just men who God spoke to a nation through. There's men. But Jesus is not a man. He is in every way, shape, and form the God of all things who became a man, who put on flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is not a man. But he became a man. He is God. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He's the one who upholds the universe by the power of his word. Right? The prophets of old, right? They, they, could, they could communicate by the power of the word. They, they would tell people what to do and what not to do by the power of the word. They would lead people and, and let them know what God's will for them is by the power of the word. But Jesus upholds the universe by the power of his word. He is greater than any prophet. He is unlike any other prophets. What we have in Jesus is so much better than the prophets. We have God speaking directly to us. And if you have Jesus, you don't need a prophet. And if you need a prophet, you do not know Jesus. Let me say, let me say that again. If, if you have Jesus... You have no need for a prophet. But if you need a prophet, you do not know Jesus. You, you do not know that all God has to say has been screamed through the life of the Son. has been declared over you. All the promises and all the goodness and all the will and all the direction and all the love and all the delight and all the treasure is declared in Christ. There is no more. There's no more to say. It's all in him. We've seen a lot of uh, modern-day prophets in recent years. It's becoming like a more and more, prop, more, and more popular thing uh, to kind of say, I mean, I'm, I'm a prophet. Um, last year, in 2020, there was a guy who became famous. His name is Jeremiah Johnson. Uh, not like the old school book, Jeremiah Johnson. No, uh, this is a different guy. Uh, Jeremiah Johnson becomes famous because he's a, he claims to be a, a prophet of God. It's, it's hilarious. Um, he, he, really, his, his, he really became to fame because he predicted that the Dodgers were going to win the World Series. And then they did. Not, you know, not negating the fact that he predicted this like two days before the World Series. So, I mean, his odds were pretty good. But, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He did it. He crushed it. And people were like, oh, my gosh. This guy has hundreds of thousands of followers on YouTube. Hundreds of thousands, right? But then he went even farther, and he predicted, 2020, that Donald that Jay Trump is going to win the White House again. He's going to win. He's going to, he's going to, he's going to have a second term, right? And which, of course, doesn't, doesn't happen, right? Uncle Joe gets in, gets in the White House. And, uh, and, and now, so, so instantly he, he goes on, he actually apologizes. He's like, oh, man, sorry. It's, you know, I don't know what happened, right? But it didn't work. So he rebrands. So, so he shuts down, like, his whole Jeremiah Johnson Ministries. He rebrands it, kind of this whole new thing. And in, like, months, he has still got, he got more, like, hundreds of thousands of followers, like, what the heck, people? What is wrong with you? Like, what is wrong with people? Don't you understand? Like, this guy is doing... It's, what, why are people doing this? Like, Flourishing Grace has like 10 followers on YouTube. This guy's got hundreds of thousands <laughs> for saying things that aren't true. 
If it's that easy, man, I can start saying some things. You know what's going to happen tomorrow? Um, I'll just make some things up. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. But why is it? Why is it that somebody like this guy can generate hundreds of thousands of views, hundreds of thousands of followers? Why is it? Why is it? Imagine having somebody who can tell you what tomorrow holds. Imagine that. Imagine having somebody who can tell you where to invest your money, because it's a sure thing. Imagine having somebody who can tell you, um, man, who's, yeah, who's going to be president? Who's going to win the World Series, right? These are things that God just does not give a rip about who wins the World Series. But, you know, imagine that. Imagine somebody who can speak with God directly, constantly, and this is a sure thing. What does that, what does that, what emotion does that bring to people? Security. There's a comfort there. There's a security in knowing that I'm following somebody who has a direct access to God. There's a security in knowing that what this man says is infallible. It's true. I can trust it. I can depend on it. I know that he's going to get it done. The problem is, that's not true of any man. It's not true of any man. There is no one, I promise you, bring me, bring me someone, bring me someone who has got it right every single time. You can't find them. Give me someone who's predicted the future and they've, they've nailed it every time. But I can give you someone. I can give you someone who's got it and done. But again, he's not a man, he became a man. Jesus. And this is what the author says. He goes on in, in, in that second part of verse 3. He says, After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That verse is so loaded. And he's gonna, the author is going to come back to this again and again and again, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time here. But this, here's, what, here's what he's saying. right? Jesus makes a purification for sin. It's like the prophets of old, all the other prophets of the world, right? They can tell you not to sin. They can say, hey, you need to stop doing that or God's going to become angry with you. You need to start doing these things or God's going to become angry with you. This is what all the prophets do. But Jesus says, man, for God so loves you, I will step into time and I'll dwell among you. I will go to the cross and I will drink the wrath of God and I'll pay your debt all that you owe God will be laid on me, and I will die in your place. I'll die the death that you could not live. I'll live the life that you could not live. And I will, I will become a man. I'll become like you so that I can pay the debt that belongs to humanity. And when he finished doing that, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, the author says. Why did he sit down? All I hear is whispers. Why did he sit down? He's done. It's done. It's finished. He is, there's nothing left to do. He made a purification for sins, right? So all the prophets of old, right, they, they, can, they can try and tell you what to do again and again and again and again. They, they, they continue to declare, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Jesus says, man, I, it's done. I don't need to keep doing that. I finished it. I've cleansed you. I've washed you. Why does wool pure as snow? It's finished. It's done. Your sin is paid for. All of your sin, all the past sin, all the present sin, all the future sin, it's, it's cleansed from you. If you will come into my kingdom, if you will if you'll submit your life to my rule and reign, it's done for you. 
sat down. And one day he will get back up. And he will return and he will call us home. And in that day, those of us who have, who have, who have followed the words of men rather than the words of Christ will know the error of our ways in that moment, in that day. When your eyes lay hold of the glorified Christ, you will realize in that moment that all you ever needed and all you ever longed for and all you ever desired and all of your safety and all of your comfort and all of your security was all the time, it was in Him. It was not in the words of false men who pretend to hear from God. It was not in them. Now, some of you in the room are saying, that's right. Yes, you tell them. You tell them, Josh. What are you following? Maybe you're not following a true false prophet, a man who's, or a woman who's declaring things that are silly. But what are you following? What's bringing you comfort and security? What words are you buying into? If, if you just get this amount of, amount of money in your bank account, then you'll be secure. If you just get this job, then you'll be secure. If you can just convince your neighbors that you are, in fact, look like this, and you have this, or you do this, then you'll, then you'll have security, and you'll have status, and, and you'll be loved, and you'll be adored. If you can just convince all the other moms on Instagram that you, are, that you look better than they look, and you look as, as good as they look, and you do all the things that you're supposed to do in the perfect way, right, then you'll have security, and you'll have comfort. People will love you more. What are you following? What, what prophets of our day are you following? What influencers are influencing you on how you should live your life? Friends, let me tell you something. It's the same is true for you. On that day, when our Savior and our King returns, when your eyes lay hold of Him, when your knee bows and your tongue confesses, you will know in that moment that He was all that you ever needed. But it's be too late in that moment. It'll be too late. There are no more days after that day. When you see how beautiful and how wonderful and how majestic, how much better Jesus is than all of that, all of that, you'll say, man, I wish I would have spent my days following him rather than these false things. I wish I would have spent my days putting all of my comfort and all of my security and all of my resource into him rather than these things that I thought were going to deliver, that I thought were sure, that I thought were guaranteed. What in your life are you believing is sure? What in your life are you believing is guaranteed? What are you believing is going to make you comfortable, wonderful, good, right, and true? The day is coming when you will see him you'll see that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, that he has inherited a name that is greater than all of the angels. You'll say, oh yeah, that's all I needed the entire time. That's all I needed the entire time. There's a story from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis uh, gave this illustration of, of these children in the slum, playing with mud, right? They're having a ball, man. This is, I, got a, I got a little three-year-old at home. That kid loves to play in the mud. You give him a stick and some mud, and he's like, good, content. For the rest of the afternoon, he was playing in the mud, right? It's a good time. And so C.S. Lewis has this story of these kids playing in the mud in this slum, right? This, this poverty-stricken slum, and they're playing in the mud. And this is fun. It's a good time, making mud pies. And someone walks up to them, and he says, let's go to the beach. And their response is, well, what is, what is the beach? They've never been to the beach. They've never seen the beach. They've never, they've never experienced the beach. 
And the person says, man, well, the beach is, the beach is incredible. It's, there's, there's water and waves and sand and sunshine. And also, they, they can't picture it. They can't see it. They don't, they don't understand it. Why, why, yeah, water, we have water here. It's in the mud. Sand, we don't need sand. We have mud. Sunshine, it's, it's sunny here. What's, I don't, what's the problem? We're fine. Like, they're having so much fun playing in the mud. And they would rather spend their time playing in the mud of the slums rather than knowing what is meant by a holiday at the sea because they've never seen the sea. And so my fear, my fear for so many is that because we've never actually known what it is to have a flourishing relationship with Jesus, that we are perfectly content following the false prophets of our day, blindly following, thinking, this is my best bet. This, is, this, will, be, this will pay off. This will be, this will be good. But friends, I'm here to tell you, this is, the whole point of Hebrews is this. Jesus is better than all of those things. And there are things in Christ that every one of us in this room, those who have, who have known Jesus your entire life, there are things in Christ that are still more beautiful than you have found. There are things in Christ that are still more powerful than, you, than you've ever even known. You've not plumbed the depths of his grace. You've not plumbed the depths of his love for you. You've not plumbed the depths of his power. You've not plumbed the depths of his beauty. You've not plumbed the depths. Like, there's so much more to find in Jesus. And so let us be a people who treasure him. Let us be people who come after him. Let us be people who give our lives to pursuing Christ. And let us lay aside all of these things that we believe are sure and say, I have one sure and steadfast hope, as the author of Hebrews is later going to go on to say. One sure and steadfast one that I can give my life to, that I can follow. He is more beautiful and he's more wonderful than all those things. And God has declared everything that there is to declare in him. It's done. It's finished. There's nothing more to declare. It's all declared in Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you. We praise you in this place this morning. We praise you for your son. We know that in many times and in many ways long ago that you spoke to our forefathers by the prophets. But now, now, in this moment, in this one right here, in these, in these days, you've spoken to us. You've spoken to me. You long to speak to every one of us in this, in this room by your son in Christ. Would you open our eyes to him? Would you increase our desire and our affection for him? Would he become our chief treasure and our chief delight and our chief joy? Would we give our lives to knowing and following Jesus? Pray these things in his name.